There are a number of passages I want to place before you in terms of our message this morning. I would also ask you to be very attentive to the structure and the context context of Mark's gospel in his discussion of the words of the Lord Jesus this morning. Also, if I may, (laughs) there are times I haven't mentioned this, I don't know if I ever have, (laughs) but in light of the message this morning, (laughs) you will notice on your outlines that you get each week, for the most part, if I get around to it, (laughs) there are questions at the end. It is to help you reflect even if you think the sermon was all wet, (laughs) you can still go over those questions as a family and work with the text and grow. There's only one question this week. One. And I would encourage you as a family to sit down and discuss it after you hear the message this morning. It might be very important, especially if you have children, especially if you have children. Genesis 2, 18 through the end of the chapter 25. Listen to God's word. Then the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will take, make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he, what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and when he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He, she shall be called woman because she was taken from man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. If you would please turn over to Deuteronomy 24, since the passage is mentioned in our passage this morning. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, 
If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of the house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a, and later the man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now over to our continuation in Mark's gospel in our series. If you would turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And he left there and went to the region of Judah, Judea and, and beyond the river. And crowds gathered to him again and again. As was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this manner. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thy son has given a great reference here concerning the institution of marriage. We would ask that our ears would be wide open to hear this morning and our eyes would be open to see the great truth on which Christ is teaching us in our own personal lives as well as the life of the church. We ask your blessing upon our homes in Christ's name. Amen. Judge for yourself <laughs> is the following true. 
I repeatedly said to my students over the years that the greatest culture shock you may confront in your life is marriage, is marriage. Although I could give many examples, the two that are maybe the least embarrassing are the following. Do you squeeze the toothpaste, the tube of the toothpaste, at the top of the tube? Or do you squeeze it at the bottom of the tube? Speaking of toothpaste, are you a Colgate person or are you a Crest person? <laughs> Maybe neither in this day. But those were the choices Patty and I had. <laughs> Second, did your family open Christmas gifts on Christmas Eve? Or did your family open gifts on Christmas morning or day? Well, obviously, when the marriage takes place, one's family's traditions and personal acts go into negotiation and discussion to form your own life as a married couple. Well, despite the culture shock, and the adjustments that are made by each party in marriage. Hopefully, the love for each other will surrender selfish habits for the sake of a wonderful environment for the marriage in a family. Please do not miss this point as we are confronted with Christ's teachings about divorce, surrendering those selfish desires or habits. We are presently, we are presently on our Savior's path to Jerusalem as the suffering servant for our sin. He is going to surrender his life, the great Lamb of God, so that our sin will be wiped clean by his blood. In his sacrificial path to the cross, Christ has confronted his disciples again and again with the ser servant theme and its implications. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. As the disciples argue about who's the greatest? Who's the greatest disciple? Jesus had to rebuke them with these words. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Have you taken time to reflect on this theme of exhortation from our Savior in your life? We have been going over that. We have been laying that out week after week in terms of Mark's message to us, the Church of Jesus Christ. Have you been really reflecting upon the words of your Savior? How are you doing? If married, are these words from Christ alive in your marriage? 
if you are single, are they alive in your life to others? Young people, how are you living unselfishly in your life? The humility of denying self, the humility of being last in terms of living the gospel must define the disciples in their future leadership as apostles, as they encourage the saints in the church, and as they confront corporate and individual sin in the church. We have seen that. That's been the foundation, chapter 9, 42 through 48. Furthermore, the disciples' life of humility must shape the apostolic age, must be shaped by the apostolic age and the Holy Spirit. The salt that we talked about last Lord's Day, who applies the benefits secured by the aroma of Christ's sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. Keep this context in your mind and heart as Christ speaks about the sacred institution of marriage in terms of the flow of Mark's narrative, are you ready, are you ready this morning to listen and to live by the creation mandate concerning marriage? Let us, together as a congregation this morning, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Our text opens with Christ moving south towards Jerusalem. The geographical area mentioned in verse 1 is extremely important. Judea and beyond the Jordan. First, Christ is in the general area where he was baptized by John. Secondly, secondly, and this is very important. He is in the area governed by Herod Antipas, who had John beheaded because Herod was living in adultery by taking his brother's wife, Herodias, and marrying her. You remember that? It's in Mark chapter 6. As we keep these two points in mind, we notice that the crowds are gathering around Jesus, and Jesus is now going to teach them. Do not miss the context and the content of Christ's instruction here. We are in the area where a Gentile, to repeat, a Roman governor lives in an adulterous relationship with another woman. Oh, these wicked Pharisees. <laughs> oh, these wicked Pharisees are plotting their actions again. They show up on the scene, do they not, in your text, in this area governed by Herod to test and to tempt Christ. They are the servants of Satan trying to get Jesus to sin. 
go back to 942. In terms of that point. Their question is not a coincidence. Can they get Jesus to fall into their trap about divorce? And perhaps Herod, Herod will arrest him like John the Baptist and the Pharisees would be get rid of Jesus. This is how we can get rid of Jesus. Now, as you look at that, <laughs> this, as I said, is not a coincidence. Well, not really. Their deliberation becomes a debate about what Moses said in the Jewish tradition and not about Herod Anipus. Notice the Pharisees ask a general question about divorce, hoping that Jesus will fall into their trap about Herod. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Verse 2 of your text. Now watch, watch. Jesus' response takes their question out of the general realm and places it in the Jewish realm, the Jewish tradition. Notice Jesus' response. What did Moses command you? Verse 3. Now underline in your own mind here the word command. Command. Moses presented a command from the highest authority, God's word. But what was that command? Well, at this point, Jesus did not reveal the content of the command there in verse 3. Now carefully note the Pharisees' response here to Jesus. Verse 4, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her, his wife, away. Verse 4. Note the term here, allowed. See the contrast between what Jesus asked and how the Pharisees responded. It's very important. Jesus speaks of Moses giving a command. A command about divorce. The Pharisees speak of Moses giving permission, allowing a certificate of divorce. Now, are the Pharisees in the crowds ready for Jesus' response here? Let me ask you as you're looking at the text, as you're following the discussion, are you? ready for Jesus' response. The reason Moses allowed and, and, and permitted a certificate of divorce was because of the hardness of the human heart. Because of the depth of sin. 
that invaded the human heart. The certificate for divorce was permitted in post-fall Israel. Moses' instruction, as we read it this morning in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, is after humanity fell into rebellious sin. In Israel, the husband was in complete control for issuing the certificate of divorce. The wife could not, could not issue a certificate of divorce. But although the wife could not permit, a, could not issue a certificate of divorce, one of the main functions of this commandment was to protect the wife who was divorced. She was free to remarry, if you noticed that in the reading, if she was issued a certificate of divorce. Verse 2 of Deuteronomy 24. Congregation. Biblical scholars are not clear about the meaning and specifications of the phrase that permits the certificate of divorce. That is, there is some indecency or shame, is the Hebrew word, in her. Hebrews 24, excuse me, Deuteronomy 24, 1. In view of this vague meaning, let us focus our attention upon the words of our Savior in his most profound correction or instruction to the Pharisees, the crowds, the disciples, and also to each of us this morning. Moses issued the commandment of the certificate of divorce on account of the sinful condition of humanity. But Moses' command comes from God himself prior to the fall, which trumps the human permission of a certificate of divorce after the fall. Jesus is pushing the entire, his entire audience here with, who are within his hearing to the institution of marriage in its pre-fall state. Don't miss that. That's the context of his whole discussion here. This means Jesus is pushing both Jew and Gentile back to the creation order by the absolute and definitive authority of God himself as the creator of male and female. That's what Christ is quoting here in the discussion. He's going back to Genesis 1.26 and Genesis 2.24. Are you grasping the importance, the importance of Christ's words here? Mark's edition of Christ's words is part of his, don't miss this, what have we been saying, is part of his evangelistic message of Christ's gospel to the world. Remember, Mark is writing his gospel as he is accompanying Peter in Asia Minor, Gentile Roman country. As the gospel goes into all the world, those hearing the gospel without any Old Testament Jewish background 
need to hear and understand how God created the world and the institution of marriage. Covenant families will be fundamental to the life and growth of Christ's church. So as you read Mark's edition, Mark, through the Holy Spirit, does not mention any element here in our text of legitimate divorce. Mark, Matthew will mention it. You know it. Matthew 19.9, in terms of adultery. Paul will mention it. He'll mention it as well, in terms of 1 Corinthians 7.15, concerning the issue of willful willful desertion. But that is not in Mark's gospel here. Mark wants to emphasize something else. Rather, Mark is interested in clearly presenting the words of Christ about the husband and the wife leaving father and mother and becoming one flesh. They enter a covenant of unity which no human being should separate. Verses 7 through 9. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit gives birth to the apostolic church, the salt, last week. Notice the whole logical flow here of Mark's gospel. Mark does not list any situation of divorce invading the Christian marriage. Those who marry in Christ, those who marry in the Lord, must maintain their oath in sickness and in health until physical death invokes temporal separation. As the gospel goes into the world, husbands and wives need to understand that the creation, the creation mandate by God himself is that you are to view your husband and your wife as married For life, in God's creation mandate, marrying in Christ, marrying in the Lord, means that divorce is not on the table. It's not on the table. In verses 10 through 12, we read that Christ separates from the Pharisees and the crowds. And he and his disciples go into a house alone. Here Christ provides realistic training, realistic discipling for his future apostles. Christ returns to the seriousness of sin that can and it will invade the church because of sinful hard hearts. Well, as you can imagine, (laughs) the disciples are confused. They they need help in this situation. They are products of the Jewish tradition and the certificate of divorce. And Jesus has just blown that whole tradition up right before them as the church commits itself to the sole understanding 
of marriage instituted by God prior, prior to the fall. Adultery is the invasion into the indivisible, indivisible union of the husband and the wife as one flesh. Thus Christ tells the disciples as his future leaders in the church that if any husband divorces his wife and marries another woman, he is guilty of adultery. Furthermore, and here is an interesting twist, any wife who divorces her husband and marries another commits adultery. Now you may ask, why is this an interesting twist? Because both in the Jewish and in the Roman world, a woman was not allowed to file for divorce. However, this position changed in the Roman world prior to the birth of Christ. So now Christ addresses this issue with respect to the woman who can now divorce can now divorce their husbands. Jesus is preparing the future apostles for the real world in which the Spirit will carry them as they minister the gospel. Congregation, as we participate in this discussion between Christ, the Pharisees, and the disciples this morning, I realize that many contemporary subjects may cross your mind. Although we do not have time to address these many issues, I would like our hearts to sincerely be touched by Christ's words here in the creation mandate of marriage. By quoting Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, Christ provides three essential elements of covenant marriage in the Lord. First, leaving parents. Second, the union between a husband and a wife. Thirdly, the male and the female become one flesh. The single flesh is designed to be permanent and cannot be divided. It goes beyond the mere piece of paper that declares, that declares the contract and certificate of marriage. Yes, the male and the female enter an ontological union. I know that's a big word, but listen carefully. Meaning their personhood is united into one being. Simply put, if you are presently married, you are no longer two independent beings who choose to go on your own selfish individual path of life. A lot of husbands and wives do that. But we, but you are a single, undivided unit. The Greek word here for hold first, hold fast in verse 7 means to be emotionally and intellectually attached to each other like glue. As Christ invokes the creation mandate for marriage for the life of the church, 
He is commanding that the unified husband and wife can not be separated. It is a creation mandate of unification in the Lord. Do you see what's going on here? If one divorces his wife or his husband and marries another, this is adultery not only because they are sinfully broken, the one flesh bond of marriage, but Please listen, in the eyes of the Lord, they are still viewed as married to their original groom or bride, which reflects the demand of God's pre-fall creation mandate to always, to always remain one flesh. All right. In closing, two implications. First, the covenant bond between the husband and the wife is the image of Christ, the groom, and his church, the bride. The temporal creation mandate of marriage between male and female is based upon the eternal, spiritual and supernatural marriage between Christ, groom, male, and his church, bride, female. The scriptures is clear on this teaching from the songs of Solomon to the wedding of, at Cana to Paul in Ephesians 5 to revelation in the glory of heaven itself in Revelation 21 and 22. The final glorious and exaltation of Christ and his church is the image on which the male and the female come together as one in the original creation. The final eternal marriage in heaven is the model is the model for God's sovereign command of marriage in the temporal world as created by God. Please hear, there is no divorce in heaven between Christ and the church, his bride. This is our model. Do you got it? This is Christ's model. Yes, indeed. <laughs> that is the situation in which we are in at this particular situation in our lives. If you are a widow or a widower, then you have known. You have known this glorious pattern. And now you are waiting for its consummation when you are face to face with Christ. 
If you are single, no matter what age here in the church, as you wait to see God's providence, what you to see what God's providence has in store for you in this world, keep your eyes fixed, as Paul did, upon your eternal eternal Christ, his word and his will, so that you can participate by faith union in Christ in that eternal wedding, even now. And if you are struggling, if you are struggling about how your present marriage should reflect the eternal marriage, then may I encourage you They encourage you in pastoral form to read, study, and apply Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 into the very soul of your marriage. Those words come to us from the Holy Spirit upon the pen of Paul. Herein, in that Ephesians 5 passage, Paul is applying the sacrificial life of self-denial for both husband and wife, highlighted in Mark to your, your Christian marriage. Now, Our second implication addresses our contemporary culture. The word of Christ, the eternal bridegroom, is very, very clear about God's original command about marriage. I sense that you know where I'm going to go here. There is no wiggle room in God's original command. Same-sex marriage is an abomination against God's word and God's creative act of marriage. Why? Why? Because God's word communicates what God has planned in the final end of marriage. What he has planned for the final end of marriage into the beginning of his creation for marriage. Please don't miss this theme that I've tried to be put in your mind again and again, is that the end determines the beginning. The end determines the beginning. What God has for us at the end, he's writing that back into the original creation. He's putting that in place. That's what's going on. There are many proof texts that biblically conscious Christians can present where God condemns same-sex relationships in marriage. But too many Christians do not see the deep, 
supernatural revelation as to why those proof texts exist. Why do they exist? Same-sex relationships are condemned because it is a serious, sinful attack upon the eternal, everlasting picture of our redemption between the eternal groom as male, Christ, and his bride, imagery as female, the church. Do you got that? Do you see that? That eternal pattern is described by God creating just two, two genders for marriage, only male and female. Just look around at the culture. <laughs> Unless you are blind, Unless you want to turn to human ways of the enlightenment view of compassion for everything. <laughs> that idea. You cannot miss the mess that fallen humanity has made of the institution of marriage and the family because they raise their fists to attack God's sacred command in Genesis 2, verse 24. On the other hand, if you have experienced or are experiencing being married in the Lord, being married in Christ, then be encouraged. Be encouraged. Enjoy it as the image of Christ and the church. If you are not presently married, enjoy your life. Enjoy your life of union with Christ and the church and cleave to this bond with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have ordained the, the institution of marriage, not humans. We ask, O oh Lord, continually that your spirit would lead the life of the church in the sacred words that come from thee in heaven. May those words be strong, fortified by thy spirit in our hearts this very day. And may we as thy people be a reflection of all the glory that thou hast given to us in Christ and in the church as being created male and female.
in Christ's name. Amen.